0: This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Are investors superstitious? People start the new year making resolutions that they say they'll follow to improve their lives. Many people give up on them quickly, but there are those people who believe in them and do them every year due to the level of success athletes are as well they stay in a pattern that works for them when the results on the field prove positive but can the same be said about investing when most people in this area believe that dividend growth is predictable maybe they are when you look at history but also maybe they shouldn't be considering it an absolute jessica wachter is a finance professor here at the wharton school and has looked into these areas and she joins us here in studio Good to meet you. Thank you for coming in.
1: Hi, happy to be here. Thank
0: you. So what got you interested in looking at this area of research in the first place?
1: Well, so I've long looked at financial markets from a rational perspective, a purely rational perspective. And then eventually, as I developed more theories and those theories were tested, I came to see that it would be very difficult for the purely rational theories to explain some of the facts we see about financial markets.
0: So how superstitious do you think investors truly are around some of these these uh, these sales
1: well it's hard to say exactly how much to put a number on it at the at the present point um, but I think there's no question that investors are superstitious um, I think there's an open question as to how much something that we would call superstition influences stock prices on say a daily basis but the fact that investors exhibit superstition um, that's pretty non-controversial I'll just give you a quick anecdote as an example. So, um, so many people know about uh, Black Monday, October 19th, 1987, and how that was yeah. the largest uh, stock market drop in history. What many people don't know is that there was also a very large stock market drop on the one week anniversary of Black Monday. And so how would you possibly explain that? Right. So it's, it's almost as if, well, Monday came and people were worried that the same thing would happen again.
0: So do the, those types of, of significant events, and you can think about Black Monday, obviously I think a lot of people would also think about the recession you know, a little over a decade ago a, as being impactful and maybe impacting the way people think about some of these ideas, correct?
1: I, I would agree with that. And I also think some of it isn't even necessarily consciously thought out. And that's part of some of my most recent work on this. Um, so just the very fact that it's a Monday, um, well, I mean, Monday is a very salient event, if you think about it, because you're just transitioning from the weekend to the weekday. So it's, it's say, much more salient than, say, a Tuesday or a Wednesday. And um, so it may be that people entered the next Monday just not even realizing how pessimistic they were. Um, so I think some of it isn't even, it's you know, it's operating outside the bounds of what we think of as our conscious control.
0: I think there are a lot of instances where, we would consider something to be a little bit irrational and and it ends up being something in the mind of a person that does play out as a rational kind of course of thought, correct?
1: Yes, I I would agree. Um, There's a lot of uh, evidence in psychology on sort of motivated beliefs where you, you take an action for some reason and then you go back and construct a reason for it. But the reason that you construct is not really why you took the action in the first place. Um, I also should say that in a way, superstition is something that I see on a continuum. Um, So on the one hand, you have something like, you know, Friday the 13th fear, which is clearly, I would say, something that can't be consistent with the laws of physics. Um, But uh, but, you know, part I would see that as an example of how people like to put order on things that are essentially unpredictable. And there's just a very natural tendency to do that. And sometimes that can be effective, and so, you know, what, when is it rational? When is it irrational? I think, in a, in a sense, you, we don't want to get too attached to those labels. Um, there's a general need that people have to put order on things that, 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 do not have, um, that, that do not have this order.
0: But there is an element, when you think about the stock markets, uh, of risk. Uh, You know, when you think about, (laughs) excuse me, quarterly reports and and so many different factors in in other areas that come into play for these businesses. Yet when you think about the markets in general, in many cases, the risk is kind of baked into the pricing to begin with.
1: Uh, I think that's true. Absolutely. Um, And so the question is sort of. It, you know, Is there too much risk baked in is, is a very, very big question in financial markets, for example. So something like the, the equity premium puzzle um, would be an example of, say, too much risk baked in. Like, Essentially, people are too scared of the stock market on average. Um, but what I was saying before is that a lot of these... Um, something like it being a Monday, often we are cued by our environment in ways that might be optimal or might have been optimal through most of human history but are perhaps suboptimal when it comes to investing. And so that's why I don't necessarily want to call everything that you might say is superstition to be irrational. Some of it is just, you're you know you're used to doing things a certain way. That's worked. Well, keep doing it that way. That's mm-hmm. perfectly rational. So,
0: How does the, this, this mindset also, I would be interested to know, inf- impact... Some of the companies themselves and maybe even thinking about the trading houses that are involved in the process of of, of the trade process throughout the course of time as well.
1: Um, absolutely. I mean, I think there's there's even evidence that um, professional investors are not immune to this. Um so for example, there's a there's a well-known study that if you take professional investors um, and you show them, uh, a history of, say, this a bad stock market event versus a good stock market event, and then, say, ask them questions about a lottery, um, the ones who've seen the bad <laughs> stock market event actually exhibit more risk aversion. Um, so I think um, you, you would cer- certainly expect to see this um, in the domain of decision-making, even with um, uh, sophisticated investors um, and even within companies.
0: Are there times where the investor... May see an event occur, and uh, they they take the opinion that it is to a degree a one off. You know they don't expect it to be something that is going to be the norm in the process, and that may that may impact their thinking about whether to invest or not invest.
1: Um, for sure. So I think a major question that anybody faces when you see something surprising, when you say you're looking at a company and you see it, you see a. Um, earnings report, and it was surprising in in some way. And so one question that you're faced with is, is this a permanent change or is this a temporary change? And that's a very difficult question. And so we know from studies that investors tend to um, underreact often to earnings, uh, to sort of these numerical earnings reports, which produces um, momentum Um, over, say, something known as earnings momentum over, say, a three-month horizon. And so often I think people do look at, say, a positive earnings surprise, think of it as a one-off, but actually the data say otherwise. And so that deciding whether something is one-off or a persistent process is really, really tricky just as a statistical matter. And there's plenty of evidence that people get it wrong.
0: Is the general thought process around the stock market one that, positive returns are going to be more prevalent than, than negative returns. And, and then, again, that impacting that mindset of, of of whether or not to to go ahead and invest or not, that superstition, if you have that mindset that, in general, it's a positive thing, you're more willing to, to jump on it. Or if you believe it to be a negative thing, you're more willing to stay out of it a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. So another line of research says that people's experience with the stock market— um, their personal experience influences their whether they invest or not or you know whether they participate in the stock market so somebody whose personal experience with the stock market is that returns are mostly positive is more likely to stay in the stock market than somebody for whom like they associate the stock market with negative returns and of course this is also strictly speaking not rational because we all have access to the stock market right. data it's the same stock market data for everybody
0: right it's not like they're producing one set of one set of scenarios for half the country and another set of scenarios for for the other half of the country that's right
1: exactly it's it's the same set of data um and historically um, there is something known as the equity premium, which is that stocks have outperformed treasury bills by a pretty wide margin. So yeah. the bigger puzzle is often the people who don't participate in the stock market, given this. Of course, we never know in any one year how the stock market's going to do. Um, but there is this you know, fairly robust finding called the equity premium puzzle.
0: But is there the percep- perception, and, and obviously we're right now in a time where we have seen the market... Uh, grow significantly over the last few years, coming off of the recession, and we really haven't had another pullback on, on Wall Street. And I'd be interested to know how that length of time that we have had right now may play in a role into the the thought process of investors of saying yes or no. We want to we want to uh, dive into it further, or we want to pull back as well.
1: Um, yeah, I think that's that's a very interesting question. Um, so. You might think that—so I, I think that people do extrapolate to a certain degree. So if you've seen a stream of positive returns, you may be more likely to think positive returns are coming. There, there is evidence, survey evidence, that this is the case. And also in terms of mutual fund flows, there's some evidence for this. And so people do seem to extrapolate. It's actually not correct to extrapolate, and if all— all else equal, it seems like periods of high valuations in the stock market are followed by periods of lower than average returns. Right. Um, but I will also say that timing the stock market is something that is pretty hard to do.
0: <laughs> but how much then does something like probability play in to the mindset, to the thought process uh, of the investor? Thinking even if there is a a 20% chance of something occurring, how that will play into that decision process?
1: Um, so ideally in some ideal rational world, probability should be everything, right? People should say, well, here are the different scenarios and here's my kind of the value that I would attach to these different scenarios. So for example, if somebody's risk aversion, risk averse, then they um, would be more, um, in a sense, concerned about losing money. Um, uh, though, of course you should... Um, in a rational world, you're just concerned about the amount of money, not gains or losses, which is a separate area of interest. Um, I think it. I think that it's not just about probabilities. It seems is is I guess my response to that. Um, it seems like people um, people may not either. It's not just about probabilities, or people, or people are judging these probabilities in a way that don't seem to reflect the actual probabilities we see in the world.
0: How much does then the the, the level of rationality or irrationality in this process play out as well. Do you think?
1: Well, I think as an example of um, the level of rationality or, or irrationality, it is a well known fact that on a purely statistical basis, you can there's there's predictability in the stock market, and I think that that's that's pretty hard. It's hard to make money off of that predictability, yeah. but you can you can test it statistically. It's there, um, and. Um, to me, that that is a sign that people, um, essentially, of investor irrationality, and that kind of irrationality being important. Um, so when I say irrationality, it's versus a perfect, some kind of perfect benchmark. Right. Um, so I want to be a little bit careful with this because it's not it's not clear whether there's really anything that we can do about it, either sort of on a policy angle or. Um, you know, and really on sort of an education level, because we're, what we're attempting to do is value a company far into the future. That's a that's a very difficult question. So if people if people make errors in that um, relative to some perfect, simple world that economists construct, that's not that hard to believe. It's the harder question is How do you correct those errors
0: in, in terms of the research that you have done in this area? I'd be interested. Where do you where do you take what are the next steps in the research in, in looking at this? Because. I find it as something that has some great value for the mindset of the investor and for the mindset of the companies that are involved as well in, in trying to get more of an idea of, of where, where the, the impact really lies.
1: Um, yeah, so I think what we're trying to do is formulate a set of hypotheses that bring together economics and psychology and then just go out and test them in the data. Um, and the hope eventually is to come up with a coherent theory that incorporates some of the really robust findings from psychology um, as well as um, the findings in economics.
0: Which, which is an interesting uh, uh, dynamic at play there because I think many people wouldn't necessarily associate one with the other, but there is obviously quite a bit of crossover in, in many instances, correct?
1: I, I absolutely think so, yes. But how do you how do you then
0: do we have this perception that it's out there that I just laid out of that these are two that that don't necessarily cross all the time?
1: Well, um, I think part of it is that economics is a very young field. Um, and I also think that um the methodology of economics has been pretty specific over the last like fifty or sixty years. That's required. I mean, you need that for a field to develop in an intellectual way. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that uh, what it does is it does it does lead to the fields being in their little buckets a bit.
0: I I going back to something you said a little while ago, I find it interesting that, you know, you have Black Monday and then one week later you have, you know, another significant decline. And, And I would imagine the reaction coming off of those two, as you said, for the days of the week. You know, specifically on a Monday, if you probably looked at the at the next, you know, two months, three months of Mondays, there was probably a significant impact on the thought process of people, whether or not they want to get involved in trading on that particular day.
1: Absolutely. So I believe that there is research on, say, October Mondays. October Mondays for a while tended to be particularly bad. So and there is separately a well-known Monday effect. We're not seeing it today. Um, at least not so far, but the Monday effect is um, that stock, the stock market, the returns tend to be lower on Mondays. And what's really interesting about that is you see something called a Monday effect, but you don't see a Tuesday or a Wednesday effect. And that's, to me, a sign of a um, sort of the psych, first of all, the very fact that there should be any day of the week effect is a psychological phenomenon, right. because why why should stock market returns be predictable by the day of the week? But the fact that it's specifically Monday to me is quite interesting, and it ties into my most recent work on memory because Monday is very memorable in a way that Tuesday and Wednesday isn't.
0: But I, 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 in following the markets now for a long period of time, the one thing I've also noticed, especially at this time of the year, that they always talk about that holiday push right. that, that you see on Wall Street. And it's not like there's anything specific about the holidays that really changes the market. But you also just see this mindset now, and maybe it's the data year over year of the month of December, just kind of showing a, a, a potential of, of growth for stocks during that during this month.
1: Absolutely, so any month that's a transition or a holiday would be a very um, memorable event. So December, January, in some sense, January and Monday, I would argue might be a little more memorable than Friday and December. Um, because, you know, from the short weekend to the long week is a very memorable transition. But also, I would say Friday and December are also very memorable. And December is especially memorable because it's tied in to the context of the holidays, which are so specific.
0: So how important will be this this area to look at at, at memory, do you think, in really trying to take that next step in understanding some, some, of, these, some of these rationales moving forward?
1: Well, um, I think memory is quite underexplored. And so from that point of view, there's a lot of work to be done. And so, how important it will turn out to be—that's that's an open question. We'll have to see.
0: You can't you can't put a probability on that. Can't one. Can't put a probability <laughs> on exactly. that. Exactly. Nice meeting you. Great having you here.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Jessica Walker, finance professor here at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.